Hello and welcome to the Red Rubber. Good God, I got to get my English together. Welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. I'm Jason. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm we Ron got, Burgundy. We got Jason Charles <laughs> back with us tonight. We're going to be talking about where in the world do you put your business logic in a Rails app structure? Um, it's debated and um, it's it's going to be hot, but we are going to keep it civil. I know there's lots of opinions. I don't think there is actually an answer to this. I think there are opinions to this. Um, before we get into that, a couple of things. One, I'm actually on call at work and an issue just came in, so I'm going to be a bit distracted because I'm going to be multitasking here live on the show. That's fun. Um, two, Welcome, Colin and Drew, uh, to the chat. Glad you guys are here. Um, three, we're going to do Week in Review. So, Creston, how was your week? So far, pretty doggone busy. Um, although, I kind of had an epiphany as I was doing some of my consulting work. Uh, I've kind of decided I'm not really that jazzed about Factory Bot anymore. I mean, I use RSpec, I use Factory Bot, but I'm kind of like, I like writing my own methods and not have, having to write a separate DSL. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I kind of like rolling my own functions or methods to make convenient things convenient as opposed to relying on the on Factory Bot. But I don't know. That's just me. What about you? Well, um, we've got, there was a long standing issue that took a long time to figure out what was going on. It was a bunch of old legacy code and it was um, really hard to kind of get my mm -hmm. head around it. I had to learn the code and it was a, an issue at one of our big clients. They thought it was a regression. What it ended up being was a uh, an actual bug fix for a scoping problem that then exposed bad data and started sorting things incorrectly. So it, while it wasn't actually a regression, it was just an exposure of a long existing problem <laughs> with another bug fix, but it just took Oops. weeks for me to track that down. It, God, that was brutal. But it's all, all settled now. So the client is like, oh, I understand, okay. That was fun. How about you, Jason? I have been off work for three weeks, so I have one more <laughs> one more week. I, every three years at Podia, you get a one month sabbatical. So nice. I've been. I like spent the first two weeks trying not to program, and then read maybe too much self help, and so started getting a little stir crazy. Uh, so I've been. Dialing that back, <clears throat> working on a side project and helping my four-year-old beat Super Mario 3D World. So that's that's my month in review. Gotta awesome. have achievements. That's right. <laughs> um. So, uh, oh, Drew, you're on call too. So you feel my pain, man. All right. Um. Yeah, I'm still digging on this. So I've I've got my monitor over here where I'm working on the work and my monitor over here where I'm monitoring the show. So 
This is going to be interesting. I'm going to be all kinds of stumbling over my words. But anyway, uh, Rebuilt, hi. Um, welcome to the show. Uh, and thank you so much for the PR on, on the Code with Chris uh, Goblin Grinder thing. Uh, Rebuilt sent us our first PR, so we're going to review that on the show tomorrow. Um, as well as have um, um, Joel come on and actually help us live with the flex stuff. Um, so that'll cool. be nice. So he can teach us right there. Um, all right. So where do you put the business logic in a Rails app? The answer is one of your models. Good night, everyone. No, so that models. That just models. just one it. model. It all yep. goes in one file. Put it all in one model. There you go. Model.rb. There you go. <laughs> so any anyway, um, no. Uh what so start us off, Jason. What do you think? Where do you usually put business logic? What's your thinking on that? My thinking. I will so at the beginning of this, you mentioned there is no like one true way. So I will tell you the pattern I use, but it's not always the pattern I use everywhere. So I'll just go ahead and say big fan of the interactor pattern. Uh, so there is a gem called interactor rails that I used at my previous company. We use it at Podia now. And the idea is you encapsulate business logic into a object that is actually uh, an action so we name the class the action it's performing so if it was like create business logic for creating an order you might have like a create order interactor and so it's called create order and the only interface to it is dot call and you pass in your arguments and that's the that's the pattern i use the most and i'm glad to talk more about it but we'll i'll stop there for now Okay. So where physically in the structure does that end up? Just curious. Yeah, it ends up in app interactors. Okay. And so then, it has its own little folder. Yeah, and it's that's something I'll do even if I'm not using interactors. Like in one of my side projects, I have a couple of folders in app that actually just hold like plain Ruby objects. Mm -hmm. But I find I find the app structure with, you know, you can go beyond controllers, models, things like that. And I find that's also a really good place just to, even if you're not using some kind of like third-party tooling, like the Interactor Gym to kind of structure those types of files. Okay. What about you, Creston? What do you, what's your thinking on business logic location? So... I haven't done this for my app because it's just something yet, but it's something that I'm considering moving towards is that I don't really want to put it in. So first I'll talk about the folder structure or whatever. Like I don't really want to put it on lib because of all the auto load issues that you have to hoops, you have to jump through. So I'm kind of leaning more towards an app slash lib to do that. Um, and I've kind of, gone back and forth between uh, should it be a class, should it be a module? Because essentially when I'm here, the business logic, it's all 
functional things. It's it's not extra classes. So like you were even saying the interactor pattern, all it does is it does something, it processes something. You give it an input, it spits out an output, which are just fundamentally functions. So I think I'm probably skating, I probably tend to skate on the edge of non-object-oriented programming, given my exposure to Elixir. Um, so it's very, it's more functionally based. So I tend to like the concept of modules and you just put methods in and and, and you call those methods. Um, but I have seen other people use classes and I don't know if that's some type of anti-pattern to use classes for that because essentially- Better not be. I like what, the classes. Using... No, no, no. I'm saying using classes, but not having any data associated with it, not creating an instance of it for a purpose, like not having data in with the methods. Right. Because what we're but... talking about here is pure business. Well, I mean, I don't want to say that, but what we're talking about here is methods to do something, and you don't really need to store data in it or that's one aspect of looking at it. Right. So do you really need a class? But even with that, where I've seen people have just used classes and all they have are methods, there's no data, data associated with that class at all. So the act of instantiating something doesn't make sense. So that's why I'm saying it seems a bit of an anti-pattern to use a class mm -hmm. for this purpose as opposed to a module. One of the things the Interactor Gym does, so like the call method is a class method, it still instantiates an instance of the class because then what it does is it stores a result. So you can call methods on the result like success, failure. So it does store some kind of state around did it succeed or not? And you can right, store right, your right. own, you can store your own state in there as well. But it that's the only Thing you do in terms of instantiating it but you don't actually do that the call method under the hood is instantiating it and i've had a similar thought to yours as well um there was i can't remember it was the i want to say it was somewhere in the dry rb ecosystem i read about this but there was oh yeah so they have uh, uh what well, it's not dependency injection maybe it is essentially there's this idea that you can define, so you can instantiate an instance and reuse it over and over again. And so you would have some kind of like, in this case, as long as that class is not storing state, it just has a method that takes in arguments, does something. Right. If you had a way like globally when the app boots to instantiate that, and then you could just pull that out and call it over and over again, that always interests me, but that always seemed kind of outside of the scope of what I do in Rails. So I haven't really messed with it, but that was something I always thought was interesting about that approach. Yeah, I'm more of a, well, I, I'm kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm into classes because I'm more of an old school OP, uh, OP. OOP programmer. So the way my brain works is I have a library 
of functional class things that I can call on to do all my business logic because, you know, back in the day, that's how you wrote programs. So my, my, um, my kind of default, unless I have a reason to do otherwise, is to have a live directory under app because you don't want to put it in the live, live directory, but it is my library. Sometimes I'll actually call it library. So when I'm talking to people, they don't get confused about lib and lib, right? I say, I've got my app library directory and I put my classes, modules, whatever under there. And there's usually, I usually subdirectorize. Is that a word? It is now subdirectorize. Um, it's, it's, it's a new feature in rails. You just, it's a method that you can call it. <laughs> subdirectorize. Awesome. Um, <laughs> That's look, I'll let you guys in out in the world use that for just five cents a mention. So um, it's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll put I'll usually subdirectorize those things so that they're organized. But I try to keep all my business logic in a place away from controllers and models and views. Um. <laughs> Grab the chimney Grab now. The chimney now. <laughs> you betcha. Subdirectorize. Um, so, you know, I, I think, though, that everybody's kind of agreed that business logic needs its own location somewhere that's not models, views, or controllers. I think that's that seems to be kind of a general consensus. And then it belongs somewhere under the app directory because you don't want to have the auto load garbage, right? So that's that I think seemed to be fairly consensus things in the community. Um I do do you ever do you ever use modules with functions and just call those functions to do something? Or do you typically always use a class? I will use modules with functions, but that's not... It's far more often that I'm doing things that need classes. It, when I think about modules, I'm thinking about stuff like math functions or uh, noise functions, things like that, that, that I just need to call, and they're just kind of black box things. They're just pure functions. Yeah, just pure functions. So, you know, I may, I, I, not that I need to usually, but I may build like a math library. I have specific math functions that I need to call. That would be a module. Um, but anything that's going to be long lived or have more significant impact. Um, well, there, when you're saying something long lived, that implies. It's something you can instantiate. So right. there clearly it has to be a class. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or if it's going to have, you know, f methods and functions that actually interact with each other or that, that call each other, even internally, um, usually I'll class that because to, to my mind, a module is more for, I just want to call this one thing. And this one, this one method is kind of disconnected from everything else in the universe. It just does what it does. I feel like that kind of goes back to maybe, Kristen, how you said, like, you kind of view service, uh, 
not service well service objects but business logic and that like sometimes like you just want to call something process it um have you ever read the article by Advi Grimm enough with the service objects already yeah I don't recall exactly everything mentioned sure I, just read it. Yeah. It, I mean it's basically this approach like basically what we have here is like procedure code like procedural code everything's procedure and he actually like advocates for having a module that represents almost like you would name a class like represents something and then you define just class methods on it that take an input do something i, I think it is really fascinating but i've never i've never done it myself i'm a coward <laughs> <laughs> It's it's well, it's kind of interesting because, like, because I read a number of different things about this, and um, it seems like Rubyists always go for the class, and modules are, I don't want to say more rare, but like you look at you Google and look up examples of modules, and they always talk about you put particular methods in your modules, and then you include them within your classes. So they don't even have this concept that kind of I'm thinking about, or maybe that Abdi uh, was mentioning too. Um, whereas, for example, in the more immutable Elixir language, it's all modules and functions. So, you know. I'm ready for you just to convince me to use Elixir tonight. It will take oh, no. It'll it will take ten <laughs> seconds, but I'm ready. I've been ready for like six years. Again, coward. So, <laughs> I, I I am actually intrigued by Elixir, the, the concept. Uh, but the, the problem is I don't have a reason to use it yet. Something to use it on. Like I can't just use it at work. That's not what we do. And my my funsy time is limited. So. You know, I and I'm trying to do this. Let's take it up so. by the week additional weekly show you added. Yep, <laughs> that's uh, that's where all of it goes. Um, but well, that's where you should use your extra show just to learn Elixir. Yeah, well, <laughs> learn in public. <laughs> well, I'm I'm doing that anyway. It's not like I'm there teaching anybody anything. Cat's teaching me more, and I'm teaching them for sure. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, modules to me, like when you were doing desktop programming, modules were were basically relegated to library functions. They were just like utility functions that, you know, so I had this module for math and this module for noise and this module for, for what the hell else ever. But it, it's, you know, it wasn't really interactive functional globs of stuff it was just related utilities that you could call whereas the classes were the things that did the work um so yeah, modules I think that's i think that's kind of the take that rails has like when you look at their documentation they're talking about hey you have these common methods maybe their library function you know quote unquote and you include them in your different classes so it sounds like the Ruby documentation sounds very similar to what you're mentioning. Yeah, I mean, when I learned modules, like the moniker for them, it wasn't necessarily like learn about modules. It was learn about mix-ins because you mix these modules into your classes. Right. 
And so like just from day one, modules to me have always been just a way to share functionality between classes. And that's why when I read Advi's post several years ago, it was like light bulb moment for me. So. <laughs> I also find it very interesting how our experience kind of dictates paths and I don't, I don't want to say preferences, but kind of why we're ending up where we are in different, you know, different paths. Like you had, you taking, you have taken some of the things you've learned in the desktop programming and you're applying it to, you know, Rails. And I'm taking some of the stuff that I've, well, I did learn, learn Rails first and Ruby, but I've kind of applied or thinking through different, differently my experience in Elixir. Yeah. And I, I, I think too that you see a lot of older programmers like me that that started in desktop dev in that kind of OOP world and we're we're used to applying that type of layout and structure into rails we've integrated that whereas newer programmers who are kind of starting with rails think about things differently and they think about the structures differently and where things should go. I think that's probably kind of the root of where a lot of this difference of opinion on where um, um, business code should go comes from is there are very different ways of thinking depending on where your background is from your coding. Well, and this, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jason. Oh no no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm I might be taking on a slight tangent. <laughs> I, I, well, for what's worth, I I might be taking a different direction too. So I'll let you I'll let you do it first, and then. Well, I'm saying this is the thing that rubs me the wrong way with regard to Rails is that you know their whole mantra is convention over configuration. Yet this super important part of where and how we should store the business logic, there's no convention for it. So the fact that we're even having this show <laughs> indicates right. the problem with, you know, with reality. Now, mm -hmm. I, again, I hate to bring it up again, but like Phoenix, which is the web framework for Elixir, they had a very defined air. Now they didn't start off this way, but um I don't know if it was three, four years ago, they came up with, okay, this is the place where you should store your business logic. Is that the uh, the context? Uh, yeah, no, um, question. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. I, I, I think feel, they I, have, sorry, go ahead. I was say, I know, I've only read about it. I read a lot about Phoenix, but I remember something coming out. It was like a way to like organize similar functionality um kind of like yeah, i don't know almost like we would think a model would do in rails but doesn't actually do that yeah well chat what do you, what do you think where do you guys put your business logic your when you're writing up these rails apps because you know when rails started it was like oh put it all in the controller no don't put it in the controller put it in the model no don't put it in the model put it in service objects. No, don't put it in service objects, put it in libraries. So, mm. you know, and, and now all of those things are being done depending on where you are. And service objects has 
not been like one defined thing. Right. You could say like interactors are a service object or plain old Ruby objects to be service objects. So then even then when you're like, I'm going to use service objects, you still have another crossroads. Right. So it's, I mean, and it's almost on a project by project basis is kind of what I see in the wild, which a little scary because you know if i'm writing two different projects myself i shouldn't have two different ways of thinking about business logic but that seems to be while we're waiting on chat to come in something i've been trying to do something actually something i've always wanted to do is take the oh i don't have a better term for this i use this term very loosely the like purist ruby way of like Uh, So, for example, my side project is like building job boards. And so when someone publishes a job, I have a publisher class that instantiates and does a bunch of business logic. I've tried to like take that route of not, I don't know, the plain old Ruby object way of it. But before I did that, I tried to push it as far as I could in the controller because something... I have learned whether I use service objects or not is I often ab- like abstract things too early. And a lot of times I either A, get that abstraction very wrong or B, I never reuse that abstraction. And so yeah. I, I'm kind of curious y'all's experience in that realm as well. Well, I'm a big advocate for don't refactor too soon. Um, just put it in line until you have a reason to take it out. Which is usually, I'm getting ready to copy this same code over somewhere else. It needs to be abstracted. Um, but, I mean, with experience, too, comes kind of a knowledge that you start writing code and you go, yep, I'm getting ready to have to write this, and I know for a fact that I'm going to end up using it somewhere else, so I'm just going to go ahead and generalize it now. But that's, that's, I think that should only be done when you've got enough experience to know that for sure. The general rule of thumb, I think, should be don't extract it until you have a reason to. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of, I think a lot of the reason I adopted service objects so early in my career is because I was very eager to, you know, to level up and be a better programmer. And the thing was, you you know, uh, skinny controllers, fat models, and then skinny everything, service objects. And so anytime, like, I wrote code in the model or I wrote code in the controller, I felt like I was doing something wrong. Yeah. And that, like, pushed me to, like, over-abstract. Like, a buddy of mine just started working at, the like, one of my first Rails jobs. And I'm like, please don't tell me anything about, like, code I wrote. Like, if you delete it, don't tell me. I don't want to know. So. <laughs> well, and the thing to realize, too, is that every one of those abstraction layers causes, takes compute cycles to, to connect together. So every time you abstract something, you inherently make your, your program slower. Now, I'm not saying that's worse because, you know, maintainability and readability is important, too. Um, and most of the time when you're abstracting stuff, you're making it more maintainable, easier to go through, easier to read. Um, so it's usually worth it. But if you're doing that just for the sake of abstracting things and you don't have a reason to, 
you're adding complexity and losing speed without any benefit. I I will say, and stop me if this is part of kind of what not what you're talking about, but I know one thing that I've started doing, making sure that I do now, is I want those skin those those controllers to be as skinny as possible. The reason being is because the testing of a controller is so slow, particularly if you're trying to do anything with the front end. So I want, the only thing I want my controller to be is basically an if statement. Did it succeed? Did it fail? That's the only thing it does in every, all that other logic goes somewhere else because Mm. those tests on a Plano Ruby, Ruby object or a model, if you stick it in the model, are super, super fast. It's like 10 times faster than doing a controller test or at least like a feature test or a scenario test in, in our spec. So that's one thing I definitely do know. I've started doing more and more no matter what. And that's and that gets me speed for testing. Mm. The speed argument, 100%. Also, I find controller integration testing much more complex for testing business logic. Whereas if I put it in a model, for some reason, it's way easier. Maybe it's just a conceptual thing, but 90% of the time I'm actually like instantiating the object, calling a method on it versus like the controller. I'm asking something else to run and as a side effect, this will run. So then I need to actually ask was there a side effect of this side effect from running in this controller? And yeah, that is the testing argument, I think, is a good one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, Eric, and, welcome and, to the oh, show. Sorry. Sorry. Catch no, up no. for chat here. Uh, Colin, in a side project I had going for a while, I just dropped poros and app models, and I've also tried just using jobs. Just perform now instead of in the background. It was all just for fun. Um, I mean, yeah, that's honestly as valid as most of the other things I've seen. I mean, there's arguments for all these really complicated structures, but throwing poros, reasonably named poros in the model directory isn't is not my preference, but it's not or horrible. Um, and the only the only thing I would have about reservation I would personally have about jobs is that jobs mean something specific to me. They are things that run in the background asynchronously. So that's just a naming thing, but that's also me. That's not everybody. I, I saw Nate Hopkins tweet one time about using jobs as kind of a service object layer. And I've always thought that was interesting because going back to where we were saying earlier, like Rails doesn't give us a convention for like the most important part of the app. If you were to adopt the job yeah. thing, like it kind of gives you a pattern. It's not designed for that, but it does give you a pattern out of the box. And I think it's interesting, but I, I haven't tried it. Either. Yeah. And you're right, Colin, they don't have to, you can just use them to perform now and do them in line and all that stuff. That is absolutely true. It's just, it breaks my brain. But again, that's probably just a me thing. Other side of the spectrum is the trailblazer way. Explain. 
I haven't I used the Trailblazer, so. <laughs> so Trailblazer, I bought a book on Trailblazer. Uh and I think conceptually, like from a high level, it makes a lot of sense. But like actually getting to the implementation of it, it didn't click with me. It's good. Could you explain what it is? What what is Ooh, it? I could try. Is it's, it... a, it's a <laughs> this it's is a, a method of, of... It's kind of like a layer. It's it's a it's a layer on top of. I don't think it's just Rails. Maybe it is, but it's a layer on top of Rails, and it's basically a different set of concepts for performing business logic. A a bunch of abstractions, things like that. I want to say I might be getting this confused with another project, but I want to say it takes like more of the like DDD design of architecting things but it's been years since i looked at it uh so marcus says framework to abstract your business logic into super small parts okay i mean yeah fair enough that's i typically try to do that anyway i i i try to break my business logic down just using poros into like building blocks you know, if it's outside the scope of this brick, it's a different poro, right? And I'll build the house out of all the poros. I, I, you have to be a little careful with that because, as I mentioned before, all the all the connections take time. But yeah, interesting. I just went to the Trailblazer Rails gym, and it said it's being superseded by an endpoint gym. But I don't know if that's just one gym. But. Hmm that that's very much about the yeah i see a thing here about like policies protocols operations workflows there's there's a lot of there's a lot of parts to it and Mm. again like zooming out i think oh this makes so much sense but actually trying to implement it like i couldn't it would be a hard sell to take that to like podia where we have an existing large app and be like hey we should start structuring some things like this i think that would be a hard sell andrew i miss you too <laughs> welcome andrew glad you could stop by man uh marcus says my description is obviously super simplified but you have a set of predefined object to structure your logic a certain way right so so it's kind of a guideline to logic structure or business object structure i'm gathering um which is nice because there need to be some um sounds a little bit like a framework for your framework <laughs> yeah which to be honest in the whole business logic area as you said before rails kind of falls short um and this is a thing that really trips up a lot of newer programmers is yeah, I know where my controllers go. I know where my models go. I know where my views go. What the hell do I do with the actual program? Right? Yeah. So, so going, following on that, how much or what should you put in your models? Is the model location simply for essentially the active record things? Um do any other methods go in there? I I I have opinions on this. And 
and and they change every year uh, <laughs> this year how i feel is i'm callbacks well, let's start with callbacks because we're talking about models there are certain things i don't necessarily want my model to be responsible for like sending emails feels like kind of a, a violation of like separation mainly because i just know i will f that up and somehow start sending people hundreds of emails but so i'm kind of weary about that so i don't mind doing certain like smaller operations on the model that change something in the database they change like the state of the object but in terms of performing like oh i'm going to save this and then i need to do a bunch of other unrelated things but are semi-related like sending emails or or maybe interacting with other models yes yeah okay. um there are certain times i'll use callbacks like after save to maybe evaluate the current state of the object and make a change on it that way um or like before i save but yeah especially if it's not a related model either if it's like something completely unrelated that's kind of a, a red flag for me so i'm not necessarily like skinny models uh i'm just very that every method has to have a pretty defined purpose andrew interacting with json objects okay come on now somebody had a lot of coffee tonight or something with the one-liners so i can tell you what i verbalize as what i think the rules for models should be but but please know that there is a very big difference between what i say it should be and what i actually do in real life <laughs> because you know world. um the way I think it should be, and this is what I try to get to, but very rarely do I, is that it should be limited to putting data into a database, reading data out of a database, deciding on default values for fields. That's that's the basics of what a model should be limited to. And if you're using model callbacks, um, you need to take you out behind the barn and do a bit of a smackdown because those things are freaking evil. Now, I mean, there are times to use them, but I think they're severely overused in a lot of cases. They cause a lot of problems. Um, they but... cause a lot of problems, specifically testing. I, I did a major overhaul of our test system last year to remove the Stripe Ruby mock gem, which was a gem that just stubbed the Stripe API. And like removing it wasn't so much the hard part, but there was there was a callback after you create a user that like talked to Stripe to like create a Stripe account. And so like as soon as I like pulled that one thing out, like thousands of tests broke and I was like, no. So Yeah. It has to really fight to be there for me. Yeah, I I there are very few things that I I recommend using callbacks for because I've been bit by them so many times and they are so hard to troubleshoot. And if they get interwoven in the spaghetti code of a monolith, forget it. You know, it's like I, I 
I don't know how the hell this thing is getting set. Well, I got to go through 85 layers of different models callbacks to figure out what's doing it. And by then it's, you know, screw, I'm, I'm, I may have well just rewritten the, the product. So, you know, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Use them wisely. But yeah, you know, it, but the reality is, so that's what I think models should be. That's, that's my, my stance. Um, but <laughs> Andrew, you're going to get in trouble talking about not writing tests. I respect it. <laughs> hey, Julie, welcome to the show. Um, but yeah, in reality, what ends up happening is there is some business logic that ends up getting into models because a, it's a very convenient place to put it a lot of times because a lot of times that business logic is very close to the data. And uh, it's also very close to making, like I said before, the decisions to um, to make defaults for different fields and, and how I should present the data and stuff. Uh, not, not present it, but how I should load it. Um, so the reality of it is that because of time constraints uh because of um laziness and because of um really convenience and practicality a lot of business logic ends up in models um and and i'm i know that's not true for just me um that's true for a lot of projects I look at, and, you know, I can't say I fault people for that. The, you know, things work as much as we we want to sit here on a whiteboard and, and write all the, the pretty statements about how things should be in an ideal world. We don't live in an ideal world. So, you know, mm. um, oh, my gosh, Brittany, uh, Julie, uh, who else? Who else? Everybody. Everybody's here. <laughs> Welcome all. Um, going back, going back to what you were just saying, we use, uh, I can't workflow state management gym in rails. And one thing that I, I would say I probably used improperly pretty early on at Podio was they have these, these hooks basically where if you have an event that changes the state, you can just define a method with the same event name without the bang at the end. And it'll like run that code as well. It's basically just like a callback, but specific to the event changes. And that has also caused some problems, especially because it, it's kind of magic, right? Yeah. Because wait, wait, when you start explaining this, my freak out radar started going off. <laughs> it's fair. My, mine's going off right now. Sweating uh, a little bit, shaking. <laughs> Well, you think about it. So if I anything say, that they say is magic, I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. Watch well, yes, yeah. they they don't define it as magic, but I would because yeah. you know you define an event like post, and it transitions uh, from draft to post, and so the way you use that is you have an instance of the object that's in draft state. You can say dot post bang, and it'll just transition the state to post. But then you have this method post without the bang. So if I come to this code and I don't know workflow 
And I'm like, when I call this, why is this other thing running? Yeah, why are these all these other things firing off? Yeah, yeah. So I get it. The other the other thing I've been trying to learn more about and explore more recently is pushing some of the things I do in models just into the database itself. Um, like some of the validations I'll do, I've been trying to replace with like check constraints because I don't actually some of these validations I don't actually do in the UI. So unless if I have a validation that checks, I don't know, that uh, if a post is published, it should also have a published at timestamp. I might write a Rails validation, a custom one, but I could also bypass that at any point. Like, because right. the thing about Rails validations, you can bypass them. And so I've been enforcing that. I've been enforcing that stuff at the database because you can have a check constraint that says, uh, if a post is published, it should have a published set. And if not, the record's invalid. And that will actually raise an error at the database level, which then gives you data integrity without having to think about it. And also it's like one less bit of app code. And so I'm like trying to learn about these kind of things I can push down in the database and have even smaller models. Yeah, well, and honestly, if you're if you're relying only on Rails validations to keep your data clean, you're asking for problems. All of that stuff should be at a database layer. The only reason to have Rails validations is to catch things early and present pretty messages mm. rather than seeing the database throw up on itself. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that I, Specifically, there's something specifically with validations I want to say. I can't remember. If I remember, I'll bring it back up. Well, one of the problems with validations is one of the things you mentioned is there are lots of ways to bypass those. And if that's what you're relying on to keep your data clean, and then somebody writes an API that, whoops, kind of bypasses one of those, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? And that's what it got... is. So when that happens, like the first thing we'll do in development is just like, if it's in a view, we'll be like, okay, if this value is present, then do this thing. And then like, well, we actually, we don't want this to ever be nil or be an empty string. We should just enforce that because then we don't need all these conditionals. And so then I think conceptually things get simpler, like as they bubble up to the higher levels. Right. Yeah, it absolutely does. Not to mention the fact that, okay, yes, you're thinking about that in your view, but some other developer that you hire two years from now develops a view and they don't know that that can't be that way. Well, now you're screwed, right? Because the database didn't tell them. Mm. So, yeah, that's, uh, I mean... That's probably a whole other show, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, I agree. It, if I could uh, take like 15 jumps back to business logic, yeah, there was, there was one GM. I don't know if I, I think last I heard they weren't pushing forward with it as much anymore, but in the dry RB ecosystem, there's a gym called dry transaction. And it's literally 
they describe it it's a business transaction dsl so you define steps and like steps of class methods so you'll say like step and then the name of it and then you have a corresponding instance method and you can step through this set of logic and the cool thing is like if you need to fail at some point the way you call it this is stuff i never use but it gives you a monad back and so like when you call it you can say like you give it a block and so you can be like result.success and give that a block so like if it was successful do this result dot like failure give it a block and do these things and i always thought that was so clean mm-hmm. uh because i mean it, it essentially is an if statement but it's not and so right. that was like oh that's fun but if you've never looked at that even if they don't support it long term i think it's a really cool abstraction for writing business logic yeah that it sounds like it that's something i'd like to check out actually um so yeah so it sounds like um we've got a couple of of agreements in in most of the community which is business logic shouldn't be in one of the three main areas model controller or view also, it should be somewhere under apps in its own folder, subfolder. Um, it should be organized, but that seems to be about all the community agrees on. What that stuff yeah. actually looks I, like. I think most of the community is all about the classes and not using modules. I well, think there's a, true. There's a contingent maybe that use some modules for some use cases. Yeah, there's lots of different patterns and they call it different things, but essentially it kind of all boils down to POROs. I think the one true way is to just stop writing business logic. And then <laughs> I think we have, I think just, we're done here. Just keep writing <laughs> hello world programs and we're good. Yeah, it's pure, pure scaffold CRUD Rails applications. And if you can't fit into that, you'll need to find someone else to write it for then, you. Then, then we don't need to do it with a computer. Screw it. <laughs> That's the way to do it. My rate, my rate is $1,000 an hour. There you go. Apps. I, I, yep. There you go. Oh, no, my it's, gosh. it's an interesting topic. And there's a, there's probably, not hundreds, but tens of different ways to even, like I said, or like do service objects. Like there's interactor and then there's this, uh, and, and even rails, like rails kind of pushes you to use concerns for that. Um, but then really concerns are just modules and <laughs> with some like syntactic sugar. So. Yeah. I never really bought into those. Okay, so they are I like using them when I need to share some type of like I need to call a class method into different places because I don't have to remember the Ruby syntax for that. I can just be like included do and then put it in there. That's really nice, but I don't really get in I don't know much more about concerns other than that. Yeah. Well, and so I think I think the the long and short of it is there's going to be as many different ways to do business logic as there are programmers, but, mm. but at least don't put it in your models. Don't put it in your controllers and don't put it outside the app directory. 
because you're going to have auto load nightmares. So just make a subfolder for your business logic and organize it however the hell you want to. Make your um, <laughs> make your um, structure organized so people can read it after you, and just you know do what you got to do. But just don't put it in the bad places, right? I think that's that's kind of the best consensus that we're ever really going to come to. Um, until Rails, until Rails has a way. <laughs> well, I yeah. swear to God, if Rails has a way to do that before authentication, I'm out. <laughs> I, I'm done. Yeah. Oh, Drew Bragg's got the solution. Spreadsheets. Done. Show over. That's it. Yeah, business illogic. Right. Well, that's usually what I write. But anyway. Um, Drew really seems to excel in that area. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Well, now we have to end the show because the dad jokes are coming out. And, oh, it's going to get bad. We're going to start getting bad limericks and all kinds of stuff. Oh, oh, Jason. <laughs> well, <laughs> actually, we are you up on time. Do what you have to do. So, <laughs> it's, uh, that, that is... Uh, you know, always end on a laugh. That's good. Um, thank you very much. Um, oh, let's see what Marco has to say. I quite like the idea of putting it into, into the model, but delegating it to other poros like Casper's active record ingress. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's valid, I suppose. I think. I'll have to think on that. Interesting, at least, to think about. Not not a Not an approach I've tried, but I'll look into that. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Jason, for coming on, uh, and saving my butt with a last minute call to be on here. Um, I, thanks for letting me ramble and sound like an idiot for 50 minutes. This is, this is what I needed to like, get the confidence to go back to work. Hey, you know? you're, you're always welcome. I, I do that every Wednesday night. So, um, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on here for everything. Uh, chat, thank you. Thank you for coming and being so talkative tonight. It was fun. Um, there will be a code with Chris tomorrow from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time. We will be working on some flex stuff. Uh, so if you're interested in that, come by. We will also have Joel Drapper will be stopping by to pair program with me live and kind of teach us through some of the flex things. Who better to teach you than the person that wrote the stuff? Um, so there you go with that. Um, next week, I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to do. I have no guest booked. I have no topics set. I just, I, it's been, it's been a week. So uh, just, you know, go follow us on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show, and I'll keep you guys up to date on what's happening. And I'll probably reach out and, and pray that somebody out there in, in Twitterverse saves my butt again last minute, you know guest appearance but um until then um you guys if you enjoyed that please make sure to like subscribe follow if you're watching this on twitch um just and tell your friends mash all the buttons and ding all the bells um you can hear the audio version of this podcast on everywhere that there are podcasts living i don't even i don't listen to podcasts very much so unless it's on spotify i have no idea what those other places are um, so, but you know where they are because you're cool cats and kittens. So, you know, you do your thing. Um, so anyway, hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, we will see you next week with 
something and somebody. Uh, and until then, um, happy programming. Happy programming.